so the Babylonian Empire came to the fore, and they, of course, took over Israel when they defeated Egypt. And so one of the world's great empires with an absolute ruler, and his name was Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I've been reading from the Septuagint, and they call him an entirely different name, um, Nebuchadnezzar or something like that. And so I was reading all of Daniel in the Septuagint. I'm going to read a little of it today, not that part, but maybe his name will come up. But anyway, I wanted to see that Daniel was a young man carried off to Babylon after this battle of Carchemish. Jeremiah had said that they would be punished in Babylon for 70 years, and that's exactly what happened. Um, in Psalm 137, turn back there just a minute, because this is the picture of Ezekiel. He was carried off to Babylon. Daniel is a young man, and his friends were carried off to Babylon. Thousands were taken to Babylon. But Psalm 137, this is Israel's sad state in captivity when they were taken off to Babylon. It said, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down, yea, we wept. When we remembered Zion, that would be Israel. See, the reason God said, I'm sending you off because you're worshiping Baal, you're sacrificing your children, your kings are so wicked. So God punish them. And so while they're over there, David writes in this psalm, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For those who carried us away captive required of us a song, and those who plundered us required of us mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy, remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom. This would be uh, the descendants of Esau. And this is from Obadiah. Uh, the day that Jerusalem fell, and so all the descendants including later on the Herods, everybody that came from Edom, they said, Jerusalem's fallen. Tear it down, tear it down. That's what they want. Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. And O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed. See, God destroyed Babylon, but it's going to be rebuilt, and it's already in Iraq there today. Happy shall be. I wanted you to just see this. O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy shall he be who repays you as you have served us. So we want to know a little bit, what were the conditions in Babylon? How were they treated? Happy is he who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. That's how it ends. So that must have been what they did very cruelly. They took all the babies of the Jewish people and threw them against rocks and killed them. So someday, that same thing's going to happen to Babylon, he said. But anyway, then turning back to Daniel, remember when this happened in the first chapter? In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, which would be to Babylon, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs. And we said the word, and I even found this in Dr. Unger. I couldn't believe it. There's a book that Dr. Pentecost, who just died this week, told me to get one time. 
When my dad was dying of cancer over in Dallas, Dr. Pentecost went to call on him. Mother must have asked about some of these things, and he told me to get Israel in the Ancient Orient, I guess it was, by Kenneth Kitchen, who was head of something, uh, antiquities in England. Anyway, he's the one that said, and many wonderful things are in there to learn, how languages change. And back in uh, Exodus with Potiphar, back then the word sari meant official. He was an official of the Egyptian pharaoh. But by the time of Daniel, the word had been changed to eunuch. And so when they say official, Daniel wasn't official, he was made eunuch. All these eunuchs in the court of Babylon, they probably do it today in some of the Mideastern countries. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim into his hand and he carried things. And then he instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. So this is Daniel, one of the king's descendants, one of the nobles. We know he was from Judah. Young men in whom there's no blemish, good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand. I think I read to you, or maybe I didn't, from Ezekiel on the judgment on the king of Tyre and the Sidon. He said, you think you're a god. And behind him was Satan controlling him. But he said, are you as wise as Daniel? So Daniel's wisdom was known all over the ancient world. So God gave him wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them the daily provision of his delicacies and the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. So Daniel was made a eunuch. Uh, We read this at Hezekiah in his day. Isaiah told him that when the Babylonians came to see that he was sick and bring him presents, Isaiah went and he said, well, they came and brought you presents while you were sick. And I told you, just put a lump of figs on the boil and you get healed. And he did get healed. But Isaiah said, what did you show them when they came to see you? And he said, everything. I took them and showed them all the wealth of the land. And Isaiah said, they're going to come. They're going to take all that wealth away sometime. And they're going to take your sons and make them eunuchs in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. So that's what happened. So three years and from among these, the sons of Judah, so we know he was from Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now later on, I'm going to read you from the Septuagint, the prayer of Azariah. It's not in the King James, but it's just a beautiful prayer. And I wanted to show you, sometimes it's good to bring out the Septuagint and see what it says, even though it's not in the King James. It was in the Bible until about 200 years before Jesus, or 100 years before Jesus. All of these were in the Jewish Bible. So Daniel was one of the ones that was taken to Babylon, his friends, and the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Daniel means God is judge. Belteshazzar means may Bel protect his life. That's their God. Hananiah means God is gracious. Shadrach possibly means command of Aku, the moon god. That's interesting because the moon god was known long before Mohammed. So these ancient peoples in Arabia worshiped the moon or all over the east. The moon god, Aku. Azariah means whom Jehovah helps 
Abednego means servant of Nebo. Their Hebrew names were taken away and a heathen god's name was given to them so that they would forget the God of Israel. But so it says now, Daniel, verse 8, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies. Now, according to the law of Moses, you could be defiled by eating unclean things. They had to be clean or pure in relation to God. The 11th chapter of of Leviticus tells us the clean and the unclean. It doesn't mean that some of these fish were dirtier than others or that a goat or a pig is dirtier than a goat, but it means that they weren't pure in relation to God. See, it's a picture of cleanliness. So he wouldn't eat that food nor drink the wine because it probably had been offered to one of the idols first. So Daniel purposed that he wouldn't defile himself. And so he went before the chief of the eunuchs and requested that he might not defile himself. You can imagine that went over with a big way. Now God had brought him into favor. God had done this, brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king. He said, I'd like to do this, but the king has appointed this for you. And why should you look sicker than the other captives? Then you'd endanger my head. So Daniel said to the stewards whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants ten days. Give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our faces and countenances be examined. So Anyway, at the end of the time, it says they appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. So the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for the four young men, God gave them knowledge, just these four, and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar and he interviewed them. And among all of the captives that were trained for three years, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom, understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all of his realm. They were professional astrologers with Satan's help. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So at the end of the book of Daniel, he's an old man. Uh, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, so he hadn't been ruling too long, he had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. And he gave command to call the magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and all the Chaldeans to tell him his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. And I have always thought that he forgot the dream, but all of the experts say he knew the dream, but he was testing these guys. He didn't forget it. He wanted to know what they thought. And so the Chaldeans said to the king, tell your servants the dream, and we'll give the interpretation. The king answered and said, my decision is firm. If you don't make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces. Your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, I'll give you great gifts and so forth. They answered again and said, tell us the dream and we'll give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. See, that's when they think that he forgot it, but 
Evidently he didn't, according to Dr. Unger and all these others that I've been reading. My decision is firm. If you don't make known this dream to me, I know what it is, but if you are the magicians, you can tell it to me too. If you don't make it known, there's only one decree for you. You've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words. Therefore, tell me the dreams. And they said, there's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king or ruler or lord ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It's a difficult thing, an impossible, really, that the king requires. And there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods or heavenly beings whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry, furious, and he gave a command, destroy all these wise men. So that would mean Daniel and his friends would be destroyed too. They sought them to kill him too. And then with counsel and wisdom, verse 14, Daniel said to Ariok, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon, he said, why is the decree so urgent or so hasty? Then Ariok made the decision known to Daniel. Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and He told this to his friends, and they all prayed that God would give them the secret. In verse 19, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and he said, Blessed be the name of God. Wisdom and might are his. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You've given me wisdom and might, and now have made known to me what the king's dream was. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He said to him, Don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king. I'll tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I've seen and its interpretation? And Daniel didn't say, Oh, yes, I can tell you. He said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, magicians, and soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. What will be in the latter days? Now, when the Bible talks about latter days, it's always about the tribulation followed by the kingdom of the Messiah, that God had promised Abraham that his seed would bring forth the Messiah, and the Messiah would rule for a thousand years someday. Well, all of this is in the Old Testament, about the birth of Jesus and the kingdom that he would set up. He hasn't set it up yet. But as for me, he said, this secret hasn't been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You were watching, O king, and behold a great image. Imagine this young man standing before a two-year service king, Nebuchadnezzar, who was a despot who insisted that people be thrown into a fiery furnace and that children be dashed against the rocks and they had to hang their harps up because they were mocked. All of these things we read in the Psalms, many of the other parts of the scripture tell how wicked Babylon was. He said, you were watching. And so here this young man comes before this great splendor, and Babylon was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and this 
hanging gardens for that too. It must have been a beautiful place with huge walls around it that four chariots abreast could race around the walls. It was a mighty and powerful place. And for Daniel, now to be brought into the very throne room of the king was something else again. But he said, you saw this great image and this form was awesome, frightening really. This image's head was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs iron, its feet partly iron, partly clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And see, Psalm 1 is kind of the same thing. I'm just going to have to turn there because Daniel knew all of the Psalms by heart. Look at what Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. See, now Daniel knew this. Nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It was like Joseph before Pharaoh. Who is the Lord that I should pay any attention to him? Is what Pharaoh told back there in Exodus. The scornful. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of his Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. We're supposed to meditate on the Bible day and night. And that person, this blessed man, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Isn't that wonderful to know that if we follow the Lord and follow his word, he'll bless us in in every way. But the ungodly are not so. Now the ungodly would be all these four world empires that were coming on the scene. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand or be acquitted when Jesus comes, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so that's what he's saying. All these world empires would be like chaff, verse 35, from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now this we know from other places in the scripture. Well, for example, in Micah and Psalms 80, Micah 4 and Psalms 80, Jesus His kingdom will be like a great mountain that will control the whole earth. This is the dream. Now I'll tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he's given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. Now this was 538 B.C. to 333 B.C., Babylon. You're this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to you. So after him would be the Medo-Persian. Persians would come on the scene inferior to yours. In what way? Well, Persia was huge, a huge empire. that We read about Esther, you know, under the king of Persia, clear through India, their kingdom was. But it was inferior, in fact, because some of the people that were under the king had authority. It was more democratic. But this king was an absolute monarch and despot. So 
After you, Nebuchadnezzar, shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, and then another third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. Now that was in the Greek Empire, and it came on the scene in 333 B.C. to 63 B.C. See, that's when the Romans then came on the scene. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters all things. Now we're going to spend quite a bit of time a little later on in the book of Daniel about the Greek Empire and how Alexander the Great at 33 years of age swept over the whole world and had a kingdom that stretched all over the world. He died in Babylon, that's interesting, of a drunken orgy at 33. So anyway, he was the third kingdom. Then the fourth kingdom would be Rome. It says, and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. So Rome did that. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Now we know that that happened with the Roman Empire. It began to fall apart. The eastern part of the empire was in capital was Constantinople. The western part, when divided, was in Rome. So this is the division. It was partly divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron, partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, now this may mean mixing nationalities or intermarriage. And of course, I think I heard this from Chuck Missler once, that he thinks this mixing might be the same thing, turn back to Genesis 6. Just again, this may happen in the last days because things don't just happen once or twice often. God brings this out because this, this would happen again. It said, it came to pass in chapter 6 when men began to multiply. This is after Noah, after the flood. Men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God, now always in the Old Testament, the sons of God are angels, always. And in the New Testament, they're men. But in the Old Testament, sons of God, like in Job chapter 1 and 2, God had an angelic convocation. And it says, all the sons of God, the angels, came before him in a convocation. And that's when Satan came, and he's one of these fallen angels. So these sons of God, fallen angels they were, saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful. And they, angels, took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now these are called the Nephilim, and the Septuagint calls them mixed human and angelic descent. The mixed human and angelic descent, could that be what this is talking about for the last days again? Like, what was the name of the fellow that David killed? Goliath, you see? He was a giant, and he was a product of this. It says here, uh, the Lord says, they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose, mixed human and angelic descent like the titans of old Roman and Greek mythology. So when you read about Hercules, but all of these ancient stories about gods and goddesses, about gods coming down and cohabiting with humans, it's all through ancient heathenism. And so it says here, the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. He's indeed flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. And I've handed out that paper on the Nephilim from Bollinger's Bible. He has a note on the back of it. 
about all that you can know about these Nephilim. Um, that we know that Goliath had five brothers and that it said they were very fierce and strong and huge like Og, king of Bashan, had a bedstead 11 feet long and like Goliath, his spear was like a weaver's beam. They were huge people and wicked, very, very wicked. So it's fallen angels cohabiting with humans. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. He's indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. He said, I'm going to get rid of this whole generation. There's only going to be one family that's going to come through this flood. So uh, there were giants. Nephilim, that's the word Nephilim. Now, write in your Bibles, Numbers 13, 32, and the Canaanites were infected with this, the Canaanitish people, mostly, and also afterward, it said. So, before the flood and also afterward, maybe twice afterward. We don't know exactly, but we know that it did happen during David's time. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry he'd made man on the earth, was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air. I'm sorry I've made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect. He wasn't infected with this angelic eruption into the human race. Noah was perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God and earth. The earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth. Indeed, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. See, and so this happened once before, and it also happened again among the Canaanitish people, and it took the sword of Joshua to try to wipe them out completely. But so back here, when we read in Daniel, that says that you saw iron, verse 43, mixing with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And all Dr. Unger and others mixing nationalities and intermarriage, it could be. So anyway, in the dark days, in the days of these kings, now this is very important, this verse, verse 44. In the days of these kings, remember what God said to Daniel in his vision, and he told Nebuchadnezzar this would be what would happen in the latter years, latter years. And so it says, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. So what does this mean except that all these four world empires have to be on the world scene at the same time so that God can destroy them? Now I want you to see that they're with us today. But in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It will break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. This is what Jesus will do when he comes back in Revelation 19 and destroys his enemies and sets up his kingdom. And it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces 
the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Well, now how can in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom? Now, I want us to see that in World War One, well, now today, Babylon is Iraq, and it came on the scene in 1932. Persia, Iran, in 1942. You might want to write this down. Greece in 1925, and Rome in 1870. And so then we're going to see the horns of the goat in Daniel 8 are present. Greece in 1925, Turkey 1923, Syria 1920, and Egypt 1922. All of this, these last ones and the ones in the 20s and early 30s refer to World War I after the Seleucid the Muslim Empire was defeated. So then the Western powers assigned all of these lands all over again. See, there was no Jordan. There was none of this. There was no Babylon. But in 1932, there became a Babylon again. In Iran, 42. In Greece, 25. In Rome, 1870, and so forth. And so in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Now I want us to turn for a little bit. Now I know that Matthew 20, 24 talks about this, but let's turn to Luke 21 just for a minute because I want us to see this same sort of thing. In Luke chapter 21, look at verse 5. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones. This is the temple that Herod built. And how it was beautified and don't, don't with donation. And Jesus said, as for these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And this is what the Romans did to Jerusalem. And they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. Therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, don't be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Sounds like what we read in Revelation about the tribulation. But before all these things, they will lay hands on you to persecute you. Now, this is Jewish. This has been Satan's desire ever since God promised that the Messiah would come through the Jewish family, that, that he would destroy them. He wanted to destroy them. He wanted to be as great as God. So before all these things, they will lay hands on you to persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you an occasion of testimony. Therefore settle it in your hearts, not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom like he did Daniel, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. For you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will send some of you to your death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Is that beginning to come to pass today? That Jewish people are being pogroms again and, and anti-Semitism in universities. That's what they're teaching. And it's all over. And in Germany and in all these nations, anti-Semitism. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. 
but not a hair of your head shall be lost. In your patience possess your souls. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those in Judea flee to the mountains. That's the West Bank that they're taking away and want to say belongs to Palestine, which there is no such thing as Palestine. Then let those in Judea flee to the mountains. So incidentally, when you see in your Bibles, in all the notes in the Briary, whenever you see Palestine in the Old Testament, cross it out and put Canaan or later on Israel, because there's no Palestine. There are no Palestinians. They're just Arabs that moved over into Israel. So anyway... Let those in Judea, verse 21, flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. So this really moves ahead to the the latter days of what would happen to these four world empires. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land, wrath upon this people in Israel. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now that's in Romans 11.25. But when did the times of the Gentiles start? With Nebuchadnezzar's rule with the Babylonian rule, started the times of the Gentiles. We're still in this time today, but Jerusalem then someday is going to be trampled by Gentiles, and that we can expect that. We know from Ezekiel 38 and 39 that this great horde of people are going to come down and try to wipe out Jerusalem, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear for the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken, Revelation 16. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, the rapture is secret. When he comes in the clouds for us, we'll be caught up to be with him. At this time, at the end of the tribulation, he will come and every eye will see him. And there will be signs and men's hearts will fail him. And then he will come and destroy the nations and set up his kingdom. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. And he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. Now uh, Matthew is very Jewish and he says, let's look at the fig tree. But Luke is writing to Gentiles too. He said the fig tree and all the trees. The fig tree during this church age is Israel. In the Old Testament, it was the vine. It's a grape, like Isaiah 5. I have set my vine on a very fruitful hill. That's Israel in the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, it's the fig tree. And in the millennium, it'll be the olive tree. And that's what Paul says in the 11th chapter of, of Romans, that you and I in the church age are grafted in to the olive tree, see, which is Israel, the root, which is Abraham and the Jewish people. All right, now back to where I was in Luke. But I want us to see in verse 24, it says, And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And so I've written again here, Iran 
1942, Iraq 1932, Greece 1925, Turkey 1922, uh, Syria 1920, Egypt 1922, Rome 1870, and then Libya, Ethiopia, Russia, Germany, all of these nations were on the scene and God is going to wipe them out. It says, uh, when you see these things happen in verse 31, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things are fulfilled. And that probably means the Jewish people. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime, it said, Jesus was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and stayed on the Mount of Olives. And so this is, he told this just before he went to the cross because in chapter 22, the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover was just a few days away. All right, now back to where we are in Daniel because we see that these four world empires would come on the scene. In the days of these kings, verse 44, chapter 2, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. So this, we know that Jesus is going to set up a kingdom and, and I think it's Isaiah chapter 2 in many places, Isaiah 11, that there's going to be a wonderful time, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The animal kingdom will not be vicious anymore. There won't be tooth and claw and everything trying to kill each other. All the animals, no, it won't be. It'll be wonderful. And so it says that a little child will be able to play at a cockatrice's den. And so it's just going to be a wonderful time when he comes back. So after he told this to King Nebuchadnezzar, Imagine this mighty king fell on his face, verse 46, prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and an incense to him like a god. The king answered Daniel and said, truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler. Can you imagine what the other wise men now wanted to do? They were jealous. They wanted to wipe him out and they're going to try to do this. He made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he sent Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat next to the throne of the king. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, now this is probably in his 18th year. So this is a few years later, 20 years later, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold. Where did he get the idea? From way back. But he'd forgotten all this, evidently. And he'd won many wars. And his kingdom had spread like this map shows all over the world. It was a world empire. He was a mighty ruler. So he made this image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. This would be 90 feet by 9 feet and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication. So it probably took a while for them to travel by camel, however they had to do, uh, to come to this big dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
So the satraps, administrators, governors, and counselors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it's commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So at that time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. And they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. This would be a great, huge thing with like clay, but with an opening at the bottom that probably Nebuchadnezzar could sit back and watch into the flame, but also one at the top. Anyway... There are certain Jews. Now notice, before he's called from Judah. Now they weren't called Jews until this time in the time of Esther. They weren't called Jews. That's a new thing. There are certain Jews, and it's always derogatory when these heathen people speak of them. They want to do away with them. There are certain Jews that you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due respect to you. They don't serve your gods or worship the gold image which you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke. Now see, this is 12 years later, or maybe 30. They're young men now. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? Now, if you're ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you don't worship, you'll be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered very wisely and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not... Let it be known to you, and in the 11th chapter of Hebrews and the heroes of faith, some were delivered and some were sawn in two, some were persecuted. Isaiah was cut in two. He wasn't delivered. He was cut in two in an empty log. Imagine the ferocity and horrors that these people would do. But if not, O king, let it be known that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. So usually heated, so evidently they used this furnace for a lot of things, probably killing all of his enemies, maybe. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor, his leading men who were in his army, 
he commanded them to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound. They thrown in, they fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Didn't we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, look. He answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form is like the son of God, or a son of the gods. But I love just the son of God. Many of them say that in chapter 2, there is a God in heaven, Daniel said. Turn with me to the 30th chapter of Proverbs just a second, because this is a wonderful chapter that you can reach your Jewish friends with, maybe. But you can try. <laughs> Proverbs 30. And Solomon, I think, is another name for Solomon. The words of Agur, the son of Jack, and no one knows who these are. There's probably another name for Solomon and his friend. His utterance, this man declared to Ithiel and to Ukel, Surely I'm more stupid than any man, and don't have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended? to heaven or descended? Who's gathered the wind in his fists? Who's bound the waters in a garment? Do you know the answer to these things, you all? You probably do. It's God, isn't it? Who's bound the waters? Who's established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you know? And I think that's a wonderful thing. That's why I like to think, even though all the authorities may say it, that Nebuchadnezzar was saying uh, the son of the gods or just heavenly being, I think just like the new King James says, the son of God, because that's probably who it was, the Lord Jesus, pre-incarnate. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head wasn't singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. What a miracle. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, Nebuchadnezzar said, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there's no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now today I'm going to close with something from the Septuagint, which is the same thing that we read in Psalm 148. Turn back with me to Psalm 148 because I know that Daniel knew this psalm. They had to memorize all of these things. But notice how it says here, Praise the Lord. 
from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heaven of heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He's also established them forever and ever. He's made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. You wonder what the boys were saying in the fiery furnace? This is what they're saying according to the Septuagint. Let them praise the name of the Lord. And then I'm going to read to you exactly what the Septuagint said. And they walked in the midst of the fire, praising God and blessing the Lord. This is the prayer of Azarias. Then Azarias stood up and prayed on this manner, and opening his mouth in the midst of the fire, said, Blessed art thou, O Lord God of our fathers. Thy name is worthy to be praised and glorified forevermore. For thou art righteous in all things that thou hast done to us. Here they are in the midst of the fire saying these things. Yea, true are all thy words. Thy ways are right and all thy judgments truth. In all the things that you've brought upon us and upon the holy city of our fathers, even Jerusalem, you've executed true judgment. For according to truth and judgment did you bring all these things upon us because of our sins. For we've sinned and committed iniquity, departing from thee. In all things we've trespassed and not obeyed your commandments, nor kept them, neither done as you've commanded us, that it might go well with us. When we get to Daniel's prayer, he says these same things. Wherefore, all that you've brought upon us, and everything that you've done to us, thou hast done in true judgment. And you did deliver us into the hands of lawless enemies, most hateful forsakers of God, Nebuchadnezzar, and to an unjust king, Nebuchadnezzar, and the most wicked in all the world. And now we cannot open our mouths because we become a shame and reproach to thy servants and to them that worship thee. Yet deliver us up wholly for thy name's sake. Neither disannul thy covenant and cause not thy mercy to depart from us for thy beloved Abraham's sake, for thy servant Isaac's sake, and for thy holy Israel's sake, to whom you've spoken and promised that you would multiply their seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand that lieth upon the seashore. For we, O Lord, are become less than any nation to be kept under this day in all the world because of our sins. See, they were the greatest of all nations in Solomon's day, but now in Nebuchadnezzar's day, they're the least. Neither is at this time a prince, a prophet, or leader, or burnt offering, or sacrifice, or oblation, or incense, or place to sacrifice before thee to find mercy. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the temple and all their way of worship. Nevertheless, in a contrite heart and in humble spirit, let us be accepted, like as in the burnt offerings of rams and bullocks, and like as in ten thousands of fat lambs, so let our sacrifice be in thy sight this day, and grant that we may wholly go after thee, for they shall not be confounded that put their trust in thee. And now we follow thee with all our heart, we fear thee, and seek thy face. Put us not to shame, but deal with us after thy loving kindness and according to the multitude of thy mercies. Deliver us according to thy marvelous work and give glory to thy name, O Lord, and let all them that do thy servants hurt be ashamed. 
and let them be confounded in all their power and might and let their strength be broken and let them know that you are God and only God and glorious over the whole world. And the king's servants that put them in ceased not to make the oven hot with rosin, pitch, tow, and small wood. So the flame streamed forth from the furnace, 49 cubits. See, that isn't in king, but evidently it was so hot it just came out of all these two entrances. And it passed through and burned those Chaldeans it found about the furnace. But the angel of the Lord came down into the oven together with Azariah and his fellows and smote the flame of the fire out of the oven and made the midst of the furnace as it had been a moist whistling wind so that the fire touched them not at all, neither hurt nor troubled them. But then the three, as of one mouth, praised, glorified, and blessed God in the furnace, saying, Blessed art thou, O Lord God of our fathers, and to be praised and exalted above all forever. And blessed be thy glorious and holy name, to be praised and exalted above all forever. Blessed art thou in the temple of thine holy glory, and be praised and glorified above all forever. Blessed art thou that beholdest the depths, and sittest upon the cherubim, to be praised and exalted above forever. Blessed art thou on the glorious throne of thy kingdom to be praised and glorified above all forever. Blessed art thou in the firmament of heaven and above all to be praised and glorified forever. O all ye works of the Lord, bless ye the Lord. Praise and exalt him above all forever. O ye heavens, bless ye the Lord. Praise and exalt him above all forever. This is Psalm 148. O all ye waters that be above the heaven, bless ye the Lord. Praise and exalt him above all forever. O all ye powers of the Lord, bless ye the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O ye sun and moon, bless ye the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. Imagine walking in this mist that God has made in the midst of the fiery flame that's shooting up. My, uh, I don't know how far that is, but a long ways up, maybe two or three feet above the furnace. And here they are in the middle saying all these things. O ye heavens, bless the Lord. O ye angels, bless the Lord. O ye waters above the heavens, bless the Lord. O ye powers of the Lord, bless ye, Lord. Praise and exalt him. O ye sun and moon, bless the Lord. Praise and exalt him. O ye stars of heaven, bless ye, the Lord. Every shower and dew, bless ye, the Lord. O all winds, bless ye the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O ye fire and heat, bless ye the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O ye winter and summer, bless ye the Lord, praise and exalt him above forever. O ye dews and storms of snow, bless ye the Lord, praise and exalt him above forever. All ye nights and days, bless the Lord, bless and exalt him forever. O ye light and darkness, bless the Lord forever and ever. O ye ice and cold, bless ye the Lord and praise him forever. O ye frost and snow, imagine them saying all this, how long they were in there. I don't know, but they were long enough probably to say all these things. Blessing the Lord. O you frost and snow, bless the Lord. Praise and exalt him. O ye lightnings and clouds, bless ye the Lord. Praise and exalt him forever. Let the earth and bless the Lord. Let the mountains and hills, little hills, bless the Lord. All things that grow in the earth, let him exalt him forever. O you mountains, bless ye the Lord. O ye seas and rivers, bless ye the Lord. O you whales and all that move in the waters, bless ye the Lord. O you fowls of the air, bless the Lord. Praise and exalt him above forever. All you beasts and cattle, bless the Lord. O ye children of men, bless ye the Lord. Maybe they were saying this, you know, one would say it and another would repeat another. O Israel, bless ye the Lord. Praise and exalt him above forever. O ye priests of the Lord, bless ye the Lord. Praise and exalt him above all forever. 
and all ye servants of the Lord, O you spirits and souls of the righteous, O you holy and humble men of heart, bless ye the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O Ananias, Azarias, and Mishael, bless ye the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. For he has delivered us from hell, saved us from the hand of death, delivered us out of the midst of the furnace and burning flame, even out of the midst of the fire hath he delivered us. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, because he's gracious, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, all ye that worship the Lord, bless the God of gods, praise him, and give thanks, for his mercy endureth forever. That's from the Septuagint. Next week, we'll take chapter 4, and we'll see what happens about Nebuchadnezzar. He still is not broken, but he's going to become like a beast of the field. So that's where we'll start next week. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Bless these things uh, to our hearts and uh, give us a thirst to know more and more of what you have to say in the Bible because every time you read it and meditate on it, you show us new and wonderful things because it's a living book. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.